Running web properties is more than a full-time job already. It's something that you really need to put your heart into in order to stand out. But one thing that really fascinates me about the job is the amount of variety of tasks that we get to deal with, from tech to management to content creation. I personally find it extremely fulfilling, but many people don't know what they should learn next. So in today's podcast, we are going to give you a list of nine skills we think you can easily pick up that will improve your core business and how to get started with the best resources out there. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I want to start this podcast by saying that by definition, entrepreneurs are people who thrive in kind of like scrappy environment, not having much and making something happen out of nothing. And in terms of skills, it means we're really good at picking up the 80-20 of, you know, pretty much anything, but we never really become experts at it. But that's okay. One thing that we've learned over the past few years is that rather than trying to fix your weaknesses, i.e., maybe your inability to expand something really large, rather focus on your strengths, which is being able to pick up a lot of things and being quite good at a lot of things. And that is what we're going to talk about today with Mark. We're going to talk about nine skills that you can pick up. And when you feel that urge of doing something else, starting something, instead of starting a new site or a new business or something like that, which usually doesn't end up very well, recommend you take a weekend, pick up one of these skills, use one of the resources we're going to mention, and focus that energy towards something that's going to be helping your core business while at the same time fulfilling that kind of need you have to try something new and something different. So Mark is with me on this podcast. He will talk about, about uh, half the skills maybe, and I'll talk about the other half. And I think it's going to give you a good idea of how we divide the way we do things between us as well, because the type of skills that you're going to talk about, Mark, they're going to be quite different from the types of skills I'm going to talk about. Do you agree with that? That like we're quite different on these kind of things. It's very difficult when people say, well, what do you do, Mark? And what does Gail do? Like, how do you define that? I feel like typically when there's two people working in a company, there'll be like a tech guy and a business guy or something like that. And we don't really sort of fall into the same categorization model. We have like we do have very different skill sets, but there's there's still a bit of overlap there. So they kind of overlap in weird places basically. Yeah. I mean the thing is it works that way because we have developed our skill set pretty much together. We've been working for like seven years together. And we were on nine years, fuck. <laughs> there there goes the PG rating. And I guess we were just like freshmen or something. I mean not that far off from that when we started working together. So I guess that's that's why it's a very weird mix of skill, but at the same time, quite complementary. Yeah, I think it's kind of like, well, there's all these things we had to learn. And it was just like, you were slightly more interested in learning something. And so it'd be like, okay, you do that and solve that kind of thing. I'll go away and do solve this thing. So I think that's kind of how it worked. But I feel like if we were on our own, we would probably have individually gone through most of these skills our, ourselves. Yeah, and, and I think that the fact of, again, I'm getting off, but I think it's interesting. The fact of like having a business partner, it basically allows you to only focus on like half of these, all these different skills that you need to focus on to build your business and kind of like get them a little bit deeper. So like at those skills at which I focus on, I probably know quite a bit more than someone that just does everything in the business. But like there's some parts of the business I, I just like we would need to figure out from scratch if we, if I was starting over. 
starting from that, let's start with the skills and talk about them. So the first one I'm going to talk about is learning a little bit of design, actually. So I think you don't need to be a designer. You don't need to be an amazing designer. I'm not a designer, but I'm able to put you know, basic brands together, like colors, fonts, basic logos, all that stuff. I can fairly decently edit photos and all of that. And the reason why you should learn that is, first of all, you're going to hire freelance designers and they're going to submit really bad ideas to you. And if you don't have an eye for design, like Mark's eye for design is the worst, literally. <laughs> it's so bad, it's actually good because anything which I hate is normally good and anything which I like is normally bad. So you just reverse the, the polarity of my decision, I guess. It's kind of funny. It's a, but like, and you can see how, how handicapping it could be. Like when you're working with designers, sometimes it's like it's complicated to see like what would appeal to people and not appeal to people. I think at least developing this eye is quite interesting. And I'm going to give you a bunch of resources that you can use for that. Uh, so it really helps you work with freelancers and do basic things on yourself. So like, I'm going to talk about something like featured images or YouTube thumbnails or something like this. Like, Sometimes you'll be waiting to publish a piece of content for like a tiny design tweak. And if you're able to like open Photoshop or any kind of image editing software and actually do that tweak that takes 10 seconds, like remove the white background, make it transparent, that kind of stuff is going to save you so much time and speed things up so much. So being able to pick up this basic understanding of design skills together with execution, but very, very basic, you don't need to be a full designer, is quite important. So... There's a few things I would recommend you do to pick that up and to get started with that. The first one is no design resources that you can inspire yourself from. Like pretty much everything in business, the best way to get good at something is to imitate the people that are already good at it. So if you have places where you can look at like websites or, you know, featured images or that kind of stuff, then you can actually just model after them and build something decent. So in terms of site building, like pure site building, personally, I like going a lot on, on Dribble, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E.com and Behance, B-E-H-A-N-C-E.com. These are designer portfolio sites where they just showcase their work and you're able to see some really modern, nice, clean website designs. And with tools like Elementor, it's fairly easy to get close enough to building the same thing. So that is the first thing. In terms of building a brand, knowing how to pick colors that go together is also quite a good one. And the good news is there's a lot of like new AI tools that are coming out for these things that actually do a lot of the work for you, where you just need to say yes, no to things. It does all the work for you. So the one that we use for that is called coolors.co, C-O-O-L-O-R-S dot C-O. And what it does is you basically press your spacebar and it gives you like five colors. And every time you press your spacebar, it just changes the colors, but always gives you five colors that go together. Then when you find a color that you like, you can actually lock that color so it doesn't change anymore. And you press your spacebar and just finds like four other colors that go with it. And you kind of like press the spacebar and lock the colors as they go when you like them. And it builds your color palette for your brand. It's really powerful and really cool. We recommend it in your toy size system, actually. Uh, and the same goes with fonts, actually. So picking fonts that go together, there's also like AI type tools. It's obviously very basic AI. Like it's not like, it's not a Skynet yet. But like you can use a tool called fontpair.co that essentially picks, you know, a header font and a body font that go together. And same principle, you can just like press space to scroll through fonts, then lock the ones you like, and then it finds another font that goes with it and just rolls through them until you like find a combination that you like. So you don't need to be a really, really good designer. 
Uh, you just need to kind of have a, a good idea for your brand and use these tools to, to do something together. Then the next thing I would say you can learn and pick up, and for the tools I'm going to mention, there's going to be tutorials on YouTube all over. At some point, when we pick up YouTube this year or next year, there, we will do tutorials for these things, but right now, just YouTube them, really. Knowing how to do featured images, thumbnails, I would say if you're a beginner, if you, just, if you have never edited a photo before, Use a tool called canva.com. They literally have pre-made formats for these things. So when you create a new image, you say, oh, I want the Facebook thumbnails or YouTube thumbnails. And it gives you the exact image size. They have stock photos built in. They have all of that. Just pay for it if you need to buy stock photos from there. It's not super overpriced. I think it's like a dollar per photo. And then they can export it, like optimize for the web, everything you want. So Canva is pretty good. But if you really want to learn how to actually edit photos, because we're not designers, I don't recommend you pay for Adobe Photoshop because now it's a monthly thing. So there's two tools I would recommend that you learn and pick up. Same, there's going to be plenty of tutorials on, on YouTube. Like I've learned both of these from YouTube. It's uh, Affinity Photo, which is on Windows and Mac. It's very close to Photoshop, but I think it's like $64 lifetime. So it's, it's very good value. And they publish like regular updates, etc. It's It's quite nice. And if you're on Mac, there's a easier tool to use that's also one of called Pixelmator. I use Pixelmator Pro. I think it's like, I think it cost me 65 pounds or something when I bought it and same one off. So it, it, it ends up being a lot cheaper than Photoshop. And because we're not professional designers, we don't use all the functions anyway. You just get, use the basic layers, use all of that, which you will learn on YouTube tutorials. And it's good enough. And you can create like really, really cool thumbnails, et cetera, with these kind of tools. So if you really want to learn proper photo editing, pick one of these two. You don't need to pay monthly. And then you can pick it up and edit photos anytime you want, even if it's two, in two years or something. So that's basically what I wanted to say about design. Learn these basics. If you have never done this before, it's kind of fun as well. I personally enjoy it. And it's going to give you an edge for whatever you do in the future. So... Do you recommend any courses or specific channels on YouTube for, for learning design? No, I mean, you don't really learn design. You kind of like learn a tool and then you inspire yourself from what you find online, you know? So like, same, like we just, like whenever I find a cool website, like I have a bookmark thing on my Chrome so I can like go back to it, you know? So several sites that we mentioned on this podcast. So like, I think there's like moderncastle.com that we've mentioned several times. I think one side that one good affiliate side that I think looks really cool is safewise.com. It's about like uh, alarm systems and so on. I think it's a really good site. So these kind of sites, they're like bookmarked. Every time I bump into one, just like save it. Use Dribble plus Behance to just emulate sites that you think are cool. And then use these tools to just put it together. Like make your own scrapbook of cool design ideas. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Actually. But then after that, if you want to learn the tools, like, I mean, especially for like all the creative stuff, like, man, it's like information is free on YouTube. There's so much. Yeah. It's so like people make like two hours, two, three, four hours videos. Like for, we'll talk about video editing later, but like for video editing, like I'm learning um, DaVinci Resolve right now, which is like a really cool video editing tool. And there's like four hour video tutorials that are just free on YouTube, etc. So if you're willing to watch them, you can you can pick that up pretty quickly, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the, the next one. We talk about Excel or sp spreadsheets more broadly using uh, Google Sheets. When people apply to work with us, something I always look at is uh, like so many people put Office or Excel proficiency advanced 
they don't really mean it. I mean, I've done this myself back when I was uh, applying for jobs a decade or so ago. Most people think that when they know how to make a graph and multiply a few numbers in Excel, then they're suddenly an, an expert. But really, that's that's just sort of scratch, scratching the surface with it. There are two functions on Excel or Google Sheets, which I use several times a week, most weeks, have been doing for the, the past s- several years. I think for internet marketers, these are absolutely invaluable. So the kind of hacky way to get good at Excel if you don't want to spend lots of time going through courses, because let's be honest, there's a lot of stuff that as online marketers, we don't need to to know how to use. A lot of the financial stuff is it's more meant for like accounting, accounting and investment analysts and, and analysts and that kind of thing. For online marketers, the two functions which you want to know how to use are VLOOKUP and pivot tables. So a VLOOKUP is basically when you compare two sets of data. So you look up a value in one spreadsheet against a table in another spreadsheet and see if you can find the see and it will see if there's a match. And if there is, it will pull back the result from one of the subsequent columns in the in the second spreadsheet or the second sheet. Sounds complicated. Honestly, go to YouTube, type VLOOKUP tutorial. There'll be dozens of them on there. There'll be maybe 10, 15 minutes to teach you that. But if you invest that 10, 15 minutes now, I guarantee you it will save you months of work in the long run. Uh, And the amount of cool things that you will be able to do as an online marketer will be just massive. So a couple of examples would be if you're doing a site migration, you might export a list of all your old URLs and then a, a list of all your new URLs. And then you would want to run a VLOOKUP both ways to make sure that all the new ones actually match up to an old one and all the old ones are going to be replaced by by a new one. And if there's any discrepancies there, as happened to us when we migrated uh, Health Ambition a year or so ago, then we we find out then, you know, before we put the site live and before it can potentially impact, impact rankings. Uh, another example would be with with link building. So if I have a prospect list that I want to send a campaign out to, uh, what I can do is look up, use that list and then look up all the values against maybe a previous outreach list or a master database, which I've created. And I'll be able to see whether I've already outreached to these people and I might not want to re-outreach to them so soon. So th- the power of this is is just massive for Online market. Oh, you could use it to find if your link prospects are already on your email list. Yeah, yeah. Wink, wink to the to the Ahrefs community. <laughs> uh, the other function, it's not really a function, but it's a part of Google Sheets or, or Excel. It's called pivot tables. Again, these seem massively complicated when you first use them when you open the functions. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Go to YouTube, search pivot tables Excel or pivot tables Google Sheets and watch a 15-minute video and you'll know it. I taught one of my friends this at an airport while we were waiting for our flight. And it really is that quick. You, you can you can teach someone this really quickly. A pivot table is... Must be really fun to travel with you. Uh, it's amazing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, go, honestly, go ask Josh whether how often he's used uh, pivot tables since then. I, I think you'll find that was a good uh, ROI. But I digress. So pivot tables are basically data slicing. That allows you to look at big tables of data, big spreadsheets, and sort of break it down in different ways. So what I mean by that is, let's say you have a lot of 
I don't know, Amazon affiliate data of all the sales you've been making on, on a website. You can download a big CSV from Amazon, which has a line item, line by line uh, breakdown of every single transaction that you've created. And then using pivot tables, you can organize that really quickly to look at things like how many sales per day were you making or how many sales per product were you making? What are your most popular products? If you've categorized them, then you can look at uh, which categories are performing best or even which URLs are performing best. And you can really do a lot with this data and use it to make smart decisions about where you should be focusing your energy on in your business. It's a hugely powerful tool and it's just start what you're doing now. Start this podcast and go and learn these two things for 30 minutes. Uh, promise you, you will not regret it. All right, there's no point for you from the podcast. See you later, right? So welcome, welcome back from uh, from your 30-minute Excel tutorial. Now that you, you're converted and you know exactly what I'm talking at, talking about, go ahead and share this with some other people because these are these two skills are just are, are just so great. What I will say is that uh, you don't need the paid expensive Excel to do this. Google Sheets can do it all. Uh, it's slightly different the way it works, but uh, it's it's all free with with Google Sheets. So yeah, beyond that, beyond VLOOKUPs and pivot tables, the only other thing which I really focus time on learning for Excel is how to manipulate data. So that can be things such as like remove stripping out the HTTPS from a list of domains. How do I do that? Or how do I strip it down to the root domain? How do I you know pull out the email prefix, so everything before the at symbol from a long list of emails, these kinds of things. All you need to do is generally have a quick Google every time such a problem comes up. And usually within five minutes, you can, you can solve it. So again, you don't need to spend hours going through lots of expensive courses on, on how to do this. It's uh it's pretty simple and usually someone has has solved this for you. Most of the time, because we're not really like taking these skills to like 100%, you don't need the most expensive tools. So this was the case when I mentioned it for design, like you can buy one of tools that costs like 65 bucks versus paying like 30 bucks per month for Photoshop. Same with Excel, like because most of, now that they have pivot tables in uh, Google Sheets, you don't really need the full Excel unless you're doing really, really large data sets and because you kind of have like a like I think you have like two GB of RAM or something dedicated in Google Sheets, but you you can have more on your computer most of the time. So most of the time you find like cheaper tools, and I think that's going to be the same for the next one. And the next one definitely goes together with Excel and spreadsheets, is learning basic analytics. It, it always makes me laugh because I, I meet I meet all these people that they do fairly well, but they're, they're unable to read their Google Analytics. First of all, I meet people who don't use Google Analytics because they're so scared of Google. And they think that this Google will not see their site if they don't use Google Analytics. It's not like people don't open their site with Chrome. It's not like people don't go on their site with Android, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, like, yeah, Google will see your site regardless, and they have really good user data about your site, even without analytics, because any device that uses a Google operating system or a Google browser will transmit that data anyway. But anyway, most people know very little, barely know how to check their organic traffic on analytics and so on. And I think it's one of these things that, to be honest, we've been guilty of, of not doing very well and that personally is on my list of list of tasks to do better. I'm okay at it, but I think I can be better at it. And the reason you want to learn this is to make better decisions. So from the tracking that we have, we're able, for example, to see, let's say, a blog post that has half of the traffic of our biggest blog post would generate like three or four times more leads or more affiliate clicks or more like 
because you can also do things like tracking your affiliate clicks and with tracking ideas, you can also tell how much money you've made, et cetera, by crossing it on Excel. You're able to say, oh, like this review is making like way more money than this one, even though it's a tiny keyword, et cetera. And as a result, you're going to make better decisions on what content you're going to create next. Let's say you're writing a guest post, which page do I link to? These kind of things will come as a result of you understanding your data better. So I think I'm going to make a list of a few things that I think you should learn on analytics. Uh, the first one is how to set up goals. So like, you know, when people opt into your email list or when people uh, click on an affiliate link. So for when people click on an affiliate link, you actually need to learn how to set up events like link, link clicks to external sites. I need that event to become a goal. You can set up goals to be events. And then as a result, you'll be able to see how many affiliate clicks per page, per traffic source, et cetera, inside analytics. If you are selling products, e-commerce tracking, you should learn that. And then once you have your goal set up, learning how to read things like multi-channel attribution. So like, it's going to give you an example. Let's say, let's say you have people following you or something like this, and then they discover you through a Facebook post, then they bump into your site from a search. And then after that, they sign up to your email list, they click on the link in the email, and then they buy your product. Then if you only have basic tracking, basic understanding of analytics, you're going to be saying, okay, email is making me all the money. But actually, like people found you first on Facebook, then they found you on search, then after that, they signed up to the email list and they did that. So you should attribute some value to your conversion to all these channels. And that's what multi-channel attribution does. It allows you to look at like first touch, last touch, and like weighted touch based on like how many people do that. It also gives you the average pass of like the, the most frequent pass for conversion. So it says like, you know, six people first found you on Facebook, then search, then email, then also like eight people found you first on search, then after that found you on social, then, then email and then converted, et cetera. And that's going to give you an idea of these kind of like support channels that don't necessarily count as conversion analytics, but actually do count in the end, if they weren't here, you wouldn't make the sale or you wouldn't get the click or you wouldn't get any of that. So uh, it's quite important. And then based on all these things, then what you can start doing is actually setting up Google Optimize, which plugs directly into goals for Google Analytics. And so as a result, you will be able to visually A-B test your pages and you'll be able to optimize, say, for affiliate link clicks. For example, you can change the layout of your page and change the way your table looks, change your buttons color, your buttons text, all that stuff, and start actually getting you know, more money, more conversion based on like changing your website and getting that data. And Google Optimize is 100% free as well. So if you learn how to use analytics, then it unlocks Google Optimize, which is based on goals in analytics. And then it means you can actually just start doing proper A-B testing, which very, very few people do properly. It's a point that we're like, okay, chat, but we could do better. And it's kind of a point where I really want to improve this year, actually. And based on what Mark said, you can then use a plugin called Supermetrics, which is really awesome. It allows you to export all this data in Google Spreadsheets but dynamically. So let's say you make a spreadsheet for like the last 30 days and you'll be able to run all your Excel formulas. Let's say like how many affiliate clicks you got, how much money you made, etc., And just like automatically refresh all of that with the press of a button using that plugin for Google Spreadsheets called Supermetrics. If you have everything set up in analytics as well. If you want to learn all these things, we are not the best resource for this. Well, as I said, we're still learning this stuff. But the best place, in my opinion, to learn is uh, the Measure School YouTube channel. They put out really, really great content. And it's actually like most analytics channels are very boring and done by like math professors and you don't really want to follow it. But I think Measure School does a pretty good job despite 
how a little bit complex the topic is uh, at making it accessible to most people. So I would highly recommend you go subscribe to the channel. They do a really good job. And, uh, and that's why I would go if I wanted to learn analytics personally. Anything to say about this? No, I think I covered it quite well. And I think it links on nicely to our next topic, which is Zapier and sort of connection technology. I, I don't, I couldn't really come up with a better word. Yeah, API for newbies is probably a good uh, good way to describe it. Uh, based on what you're saying about using supermetrics, though, to pull data out and and that you can go a lot further with connecting different services and d different software together. And this can really open up a lot of crazy, crazy efficient systems and processes that you couldn't even have imagined doing previously without hiring some expensive developer to, to do it. So for those who don't know, Zapier is a connection software that allows you to connect different pieces of software without knowing any code yourself. So you can connect, for example, uh, a Google form to, let's say, active campaign or something. So whenever someone completes a form, it may add them as a, you can select it to add them as a user in active campaign. And you can control, you know, which fields it will pull through and put them into active campaign in the right, right settings and all that kind of stuff. Where this is particularly useful for us in, in recent months has been in some of our business processes. So we have an affiliate program for Authority Hacker. And if you go to authorityhacker.com forward slash affiliates, there'll be a page and there'll be a, a link to a form. When someone fills in that form, it adds a line item to a Google Sheet. Uh, Google Sheets, Google Forms does this automatically. It's nothing to do with Zapier. It's easy enough. We have connected that sheet to Zapier. And then we've connected Zapier to our Slack and to our Help Scout, which is like our support system, our customer support channel, where our, our support team hangs out. So whenever someone completes that form, the, there's a new raw entry. Zapier will then take that information from the Google Sheet, and then it will create a support ticket in our special area of Help Scout, which we've set up for affiliates. It will also then notify the applicant that the application has been received. So it'll send a message through Help Scout that way. It will then send a message to our Slack channel where you have a dedicated Slack channel with basically just a feed of all these applications so we can, we can see them come in. And we've programmed it so it will create the correct link to the Help Scout conversation as well. So we can then go in there and, and, and check it all out. And if we need to, for example, message them to ask them more information, we can do that straight away. It's not really part of, of Zapier or the Connect Tech, but we have like pre-made responses for the most common situations that come up, it's like approval, rejection, request for more information, those kinds of things. And so just, just having this all together in a sort of nice automated way enables our support team to very, very easily work on and process these, these applications. And it just massively simplifies and optimizes the, the efficiency of the, the whole thing. You can run similar things if you're hiring people, for example. I know some friends of ours have had a lot of success building that those kinds of systems in their, their companies. If you're in doing any kinds of like sales, for example, uh, one thing which which happens when sometimes when people try and buy one of our products and they they're using their credit card, 
is that it will be declined either because they don't have enough money on their their account, they've hit a limit or something, or because it's like a an anti fraud protection. Uh, you know, some banks have super strict settings, so if you try and make like a purchase online more than a couple hundred dollars, then it can uh, it can trigger some limits if you if you haven't sort of had a pattern of spending like that previously. So what what you can do with Zapier is set it so it connects to to your Stripe account, which processes the credit cards, and then whenever one of those failed transactions occurs, it can pull the response code from Zapier as a field, and then create a email to go out through your email system, say Active Campaign, and it can email the person who had the error, saying, "Hey, you know this this issue came up with your credit card. Here's the reason why it was declined." And then you can even build in like logic to it. So like, if this was the reason, then send this email, or if this was the reason, send this email. It's massively complex in terms of what you can do, but also it's simple and easy enough to use so that even someone like myself who has minimal experience in in coding, you know, HTML is really all I know. and, And even that's a bit of a stretch. I can create all these these things without knowing any any code yourself. So the, the possibilities with this kind of stuff are really endless. And in terms of how you should approach learning it, the good thing is it's so easy. You don't need to go through any courses or you know anything like that to, to, to grasp it. You just create a free Zapier account and start exploring. There's loads of pre-made kind of templated zaps, they're called, you know, connecting one system to another that other people have created that you can just have a bit of an explore around and you can import those and use them yourself like with a click of a button. Uh, So it's very easy to use. Spend some time just playing around with it and you'll all of a sudden have all these ideas for crazy things that you can build in your business that like massively optimizes your business processes a lot. So highly, highly recommend that. Yeah, it's like if you're having wet dreams about automation, that's probably like a cool one to do. Like another one that we use, actually, that's pretty simple. It's like, you know, so when you build an email list, a lot of people want your lead magnet, but don't want to like give you their email. So that's why a double opt-in was invented. You know, when you opt into an email list and then it sends you an email and you need to click a link to verify your email. The problem with double opt-ins is you lose a lot of people, like I'm talking 30 to 40%. So it's not exactly ideal in terms of building a large list. It's sometimes in some countries like Germany, it's a legal obligation to do that. But in other countries, it's not necessarily, and it's not the most efficient way of doing it. So we actually, for example, use Zapier to call, to connect with a service called neverbounce.com. And so the Zap is like when someone opts into our email list, it actually checks through Neverbounce if that email is correct. And if it's not correct, it immediately goes back to ActiveCampaign and deletes that email. And what it does is it actually makes sure that every email we have in our email list is uh, a real email address that you know can be reached and it's not a fake one. And over time, when you're collecting a lot of emails, it reduces your bounce rate massively, it increases your open rate, increases your clicks rate. That improves your metrics by a lot, which means that because you get good metrics, Gmail and uh, Hotmail and all these guys, they put you in the main inbox instead of putting you in the promotion tab and all these things. They avo- you avoid the spam folder if there's any issue. So overall, it just it actually ends up making you more money if you're making money with email marketing. So these are the kind of stuff that we use as well for Zapier. So that's quite powerful. 
So the next thing I wanted to talk about was writing. And I'm sure you know how to write. I expect most people listening to this podcast know how to write okay English. I'm not a native speaker. We did a podcast on non-native speakers if you want to listen to this. But I mean writing for people. I mean, like the way I try to explain to people is like writing in a way that people are willing to trade their time to read your words and writing in a way that uh, builds connection. And that connection eventually will transform into money. It's going to be useful to convert followers into buyers. And it's going to improve a lot of areas of your business. It's going to improve, let's say, email outreach if you're doing name building. It's going to improve blogging. It's going to improve sales with your sales pages. It's going to improve email marketing, which directly translates into sales. It's going to improve social media and all these things. And it's like I'm really bad at recommending courses today, but my favorite way of doing this is consuming a lot of commercial content. So I actually... I don't run an ad blocker lately. I don't run all these other things because what I want is I want to consume sales content. So for example, the last launch sales page and even the auto system sales page is a little bit modeled after the Apple sales pages. And one thing that I've noticed, for example, is that they focus on their headlines. They do kind of like big sections. And it's like one big section equals one feature. And actually, they write very minimal copy. And if, uh, if you go and check their sales pages, they only write like, 20, 30, 40 words per section. But what they do is they kind of have this draw type sales page where you click on a button, it's like learn more, and it just opens kind of a pop-up that overlays the page that explores more that feature, but people can really scroll through and look at images of like iPhones or MacBook Pros or whatever they sell. And, and so I consume sales pages all the time. Every time there's like a product I'm, I'm kind of interested in, I consume them and I save them. And I think that is one of the best ways to learn how to write content that converts. I also think that one way to find these sales pages is to actually go through popular affiliate networks. So like you can go through like ClickBank or like Peerfly or like Max Bounty, something like this, and find the top offers there and go through their sales pages as well and consume that. Another thing that I like doing is subscribing to people's email lists. Uh, it's like my promotion tab is a mess because of that. I get so many of them. But actually, when I have idle time, I actually just read these emails. It not only teaches me in like how people connect, etc. And some people do really well. For example, I was on the email list of Marie Forleo recently, which is like a pure girly thing. Like it's real. I'm really not the target for Marie Forleo. Like she's on Oprah and everything. She used to be, but. Her, e- her email marketing is like really good and she runs webinars and she does a lot of the stuff that we do. And and you will learn a ton in terms of like emotional connection from this kind of like people that are quite different from you. Another thing I do is I click on Facebook ads. So Facebook ads, when people sell stuff, Facebook ads are not that cheap these days. So most likely the what I find behind is quite optimized for sales. And if it's running for a long time, then most likely it's converting and they make you money. So that's another thing that I like to do. I like to consume sales content basically everywhere. I watch a lot of um, of like tech keynotes as well for uh, like public speaking to sell, like you know, that can help for webinars, etc. You know, one thing as well, one of my inspirations for, for webinars, I think I said that at the DCX Budapest last year, was like these crazy, these preachers in the US, you know. That is a that is a great like these people are literally just saying words and getting people to convert, which is quite insane. So this is the kind of influences that you can put in your life and consume kind of like weird content that's slightly different from what you would do with your website, but will still grow your affinity and your sensitivity for sales content. The second thing, and we've mentioned it several times, so I'm not gonna go too deep into that. 
to learn how to write is to learn how to structure content. We say that many times for like non-native speakers, etc. Learn how to structure your content. Most people's content structure is absolutely terrible. If you know how to do that, you will stand out. And the way to do that is to finally get that account, that free account on dynalist.io, which is an excellent tool to structure your ideas. And it's 100% free. So really, there's no reason for you not to get it. No, but closely linked to that, I would say uh, speaking slash communication. Speaking and communication, this is so important when you're working with other people because, you know, their brain is not your brain. Unfortunately, Elon Musk's mind link has not been invented yet. And you you will have to put your ideas into words and use those words to communicate with other people to try and get them to do things and to, uh, you know, operate your business with more than yourself you will quickly become the bottleneck in your in your business any any growing business uh any entrepreneur who has a growing business will find that so what specifically is communication useful for well if you're working with a team obviously talking with them uh, getting them to to do things very important when you're creating sops or processes for your business describing what you want done it sounds pretty simple like oh go here click here but and that's fine if you're telling people where to click on a on a page but if you're telling people how to assess something like uh is this a good keyword or not or how to decide whether a piece of content is high quality or low quality that's a lot more difficult there's there's not a single thing you can look at so you have to think of how you can break down that whole decision matrix, as it were, and, and explain it and give as much guidance as, as, as possible. So it's a skill for sure. When it comes to link building, when you're doing outreach emails, so the, the actual email that you create, your outreach template, very, very important. It's going to move the needle a lot if you if you do this well. So putting yourself in the position where you're imagining being the person receiving this and you're able to kind of empathize with them and think, how are they going to interpret what I'm saying here? What can I do to get them to respond more, to be more likely to respond to my, my message? If there's any kind of networking in your industry, so if you're going to events or, you know, even if just meeting people online through whatever method, like doing your outreach or something, having the ability to capture someone's attention and build rapport with them quickly communicate what you're doing, what your business is about. Also very, very important. Finally, uh, podcasting. So this, this is what we're doing here. Our ability to communicate our ideas with, with you through this, this podcast is ultimately a skill, which we weren't always very good. I mean, go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. They were not nearly as good. I'm not saying we're, we're perfect. We definitely still have a lot, a lot to learn. We're so amazing right now. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a skill. It's, communication is a skill. Because everyone does it to an extent in their, their daily lives, a lot of people take it for granted and think, oh, this is just how I am with communication. But like everything, it's a skill that you can and should develop. And if you do it, it will be, it will be very, very rewarding for you and your business because it's such a crucial skill. And how you get better at this, the single best way I've found is to join an organization called Toastmasters. This is a worldwide organization, which is sort of, it's all about communication, but with a slant on public speaking. 
if you improve your public speaking, that will filter down to all other aspects of your communication, however, because when when you go to a Toastmasters meetup, they have them in every city, by the way. Go to toastmasters.org and, and figure out uh, where the closest one to you is. In Edinburgh, they have like six of them or something. So m- bigger cities will have, will have lots of options. You go there. How come? We can't even understand when you speak. So <laughs> I said, how? it's like they're speaking so much, but we can't understand the Scottish accent. So I don't know. I don't see the point. Yeah. Well, maybe there's not quite so many <laughs> Scottish people at the, the Toastmasters in, in Scotland. I'm not sure. But it's been the hardest time I've ever had. Like Indian people was easier. Yeah. The, the thing with it, so is that when you're preparing a speech to give at the next uh, Toastmasters event that you, you go to, you're actually, it's a very well-structured community. So you're given knowledge in the form of workbooks and tutorials that they, they give you in terms of like how to craft a speech and what to do, what not to do. Like the, the information is, is quite quite solid there. You're also giving given a mentor so someone who's a lot more experienced at communicating, at speaking than, than you. And they will help you craft what you have to say. They'll help you give feedback on your speeches, your presentations that you, you, you give. And through doing this and through going every week and through standing up in front of 20-odd people and talking, you get experience in that. So you build, build knowledge, mentorship, and experience, which are the three components you need to learn, well, anything. Uh, and don't think this is just an organization for people who want to go speak at like a, a conference or something. It, certainly you can do that, but they ha- have all these different paths and tracks. So if you just want to be a more competent communicator in like managing teams or in, in, in the workplace, then they'll have like a track for that and specific exercises and speeches and tasks that you, you can do to, to develop those skills. So I've been going since the start of this year. I'm still obviously a bit of a newbie with it, but I would highly recommend going to do this if you if you want to improve your, your communication skills. Well, how have you improved since the beginning of the year? I would say... Like, what do you think you're better at? I would say thinking about what I'm going to say because I would often ramble a lot. I mean, I still do. That's why this podcast is already over 45 exactly, minutes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So We do this. I do the same. So that that's one thing. The other thing is just aware of all of stupid things I say, like pause words, the, the uh, um, uh, you know, like these kinds of, of things. I'm, I'm pretty bad for it. And I'm pretty sure you picked up all those things from like working with me so much. So sorry about that. But. Not really, actually. I remember. So uh, when I was learning English in France, that's the one thing your English teacher would say. They'd be like, oh, don't stop talking. Just say, uh, uh, uh and they would literally teach you to say that because French people are so hesitant when they learn English that it would sound more natural. Yeah, my English teacher was saying that. She's like, oh, yeah, every native English speaker does it anyway. So it was a filler. It's kind of a way to for you to think of what you're going to say next and cheat with that. And so that, for non-native speakers, that's actually a trick I've been taught when I was learning the language when I was like in middle school or something. Damn, so maybe I learned it from you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I messed you up. That would be hilarious. But yeah, okay, cool. Uh, let's talk about the next one. And the next one, I think, wow, great transition. It's about like actually communicating through video, actually. So the one thing I think that is really much easier than what most people think it is to learn is video editing. And I think video is going to be part of content creation. Like it has to be. Every year, like the stats I checked before this podcast, every year, mobile video consumption rises by over 100%. 
for the past three or four years. And it's still going to rise. When you see the phones that are coming out these days, they're made for video consumption. People are consuming videos on the go now with the headsets and so on. And video consumption is just going to be something that you're going you're gonna to have to carry video, basically. And so it's really useful to like get started with video because video editing it can get a little bit expensive despite it not being very hard. It does take time, but it's like everything is like you have, you have time on money. Same thing as design. You can do quick fixes without needing someone if you need to publish something really quickly, etc. You learn what's possible as well. You learn what is an A role, what is a B role. You learn about sound optimization. You learn about, you know, cuts and different ways of like editing the cuts and so on. And it's also useful for creating social media content. So if you want to do like Instagram marketing, if you want to do, you know, Facebook stuff, etc., videos are really prominent there and be, are being rewarded by the platforms. And really, it's really not that hard to learn. I mean, now most phones have decent enough cameras to do okay video with it. Uh, I would say the microphones are a bit bad, but other than that, the, the video is pretty good. And there's so many videos to learn on YouTube. The tool I would recommend you learn is probably going to be DaVinci Resolve. It is a professional video editor. So it's it's really like, you know, movies are made with this tool. And it's 100% free. So you can actually just Google it, DaVinci Resolve, and you go on blackmagic.com and the editor is free. The reason why it's free is because Blackmagic uh, sells cameras. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you into their ecosystem by doing this. But at this point, it's as good or better than Adobe Premiere Pro, which is kind of like the reference for video editing. Uh, if you're on a Mac, Final Cut is quite good and or iMovie is quite good as well. But the point with DaVinci Resolve is it's cross-platform. So if you're hiring video editors later, even if they're on PC and you're on Mac or you're on PC and they're on Mac, you can actually work together. So it's kind of a good one. I've personally, since the version 16 was released, a couple of weeks ago it's much simpler to use so even beginners can pick it up and same thing like look for like a beginner guide to davinci resolve on youtube there's plenty of them uh, maybe i'll link one or two in the show notes and it's pretty easy to pick up basically so next one's hiring so i want to start off if i can with a quote by jeff bezos the founder and ceo of amazon he said once i'd rather interview 50 people and not hire anyone than hire the wrong person this is very, very true. The worst thing you can do in your business is to hire the wrong people. It's not just a waste of time and, and money, but it will really screw up a lot of things in your in your company. Anyone who's made a bad hire in the past knows what I'm talking about here. So your ability to hire and manage a team will start to matter a lot more than your ability to perform the core competence, competencies of your business as you grow. So Day one, of course, you know, work on your marketing, work on your website, build great links, build great content. Once you start getting to the sort of six-figure profit level, there's only so much that one or two people can can do themselves. You have to hire. You have to recruit. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. As you grow, everyone has to do this. Yet it's a skill that so few people take the time to learn and, and develop. They just sort of wing it. You know, everyone I say hates the guys at the top of their their industry. There's guys in art in online marketing like Neil Patel. They get a lot of stick for their core ideas, and people disagree with things they said or things they do. But one thing you can't sort of criticize about about people at the top is what they're generally doing right is they have a great team behind them, and they've really nailed the the hiring side of things, and that's what's enabled them to to get to 
to that size. So look at what companies five to 10 times the size of yours are doing and look for commonalities among all those companies and think those are the things you should be be focusing on. Little story, if I can, when we first started our previous company, which was a, a marketing agency, Gail and I, we, I, I guess we, I don't know, I, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder with big corporations. I, I worked on one when I sort of worked for one when I came out of university. And I thought that the way they ran their human resources department and their hiring process was really dumb. We know how to do it better. I remember the first interview we ever did. We basically took a guy to a bar and had a few beers with him. While that was a lot of fun, probably not the best way of ascertaining whether someone's good or not. There's a reason why every... He was good at drinking beer. That's very true. He was excellent at drinking beer. (laughs) However... There's a reason why every big company in the world have the conver- uh, the human resources, the hiring processes they do, because they tend to work. And so there's a lot you can learn from that. If you want to get better at hiring, there are two books. The first one, which every single person who's read- who's listening to this podcast, again, should read, it's called Who? It's by a guy called Jeff Smart. So start there. Another book, uh, is, which is very good, is called Top Grading by a guy called Bradford Smart. And these are very good ways, at least from, from the way I think, because they break down the process into really like step by, a step-by-step process and they sort of go into a lot of detail about it. It's very sort of systems-based as well, which, which really speaks to me. So yeah, hiring, it's a continual challenge and you're, you're, it's something you're going to have to start working on at some point. So I would pick up one of these books sooner rather than later. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah, even if it's not your specialty, you're going to have to pick that up to some extent. Because, I mean, the way how our business has developed, you know, as you can tell, Mark's taking care of some stuff. I'm taking care of some other stuff. But if I want to scale my side of things, I still need to hire people. So I think a lot of the things we talk about, if you're working with someone else, you can, you know, kind of split it up. But the hiring part, it's like even me, I had to get to it. And it was hard, but it's something that even more like creative people can pick up. You will have a very different way of doing that. Like I can see that Mark is like way more systematic, whereas I'm very good at like breaking the mold and like trying to like push people through the interviews and get like a real hint at their personality. It works, it doesn't. It can. Some people hate it, some people like it. But what I just wanted to say is everyone has to learn this one, I would say. The problem is learning hiring is the most expensive skill to learn in the whole list because to actually know if you're good at it, you need to hire these people and pay them. So your bad hires will cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. And so it's the most expensive thing that you will do. I would recommend you start early and you can start with like small amounts, with like you know hourly freelancers, with even just like buying gigs on Fiverr, these kind of stuff, like whatever. But like you need to start learning to build up your judgment for people because if you want to make a decent amount of money, you're going to need to do that. You can't do everything yourself. Even like the blog is outsourced, etc. for us now. Toya Haka had to put this team together. We're still growing it. And yeah, just pick it up basically. Yeah, I will say with, with hiring, it's the one thing you don't want to just sort of wing it because it's one of these skills. If you have a bit a bit of common sense, you can kind of get by, but you're never really going to get very good at it. So look for some resources. Again, Who by Jeff Smart and Top Grading by Bradford Bradford Smart. Uh, maybe they're maybe I got the, the last names wrong because they're the same or maybe they're brothers or something. I don't know. But Who and Top Grading are the two books 
read those and then you'll be you that's a, a really good start at least the final section of skills which i want to talk about is again i don't really have a good name for it but it's like business management business strategy skills just going to say right away that if you're making less than a hundred thousand dollars a year profit then don't even bother thinking about this stuff yet because it's just not important it's something which can can sort of happen when you get to to, to that stage but when you do these are the kinds of skills which you will be which you will need in order to take your business from a six seven figure business to like an eight figure business you you, you can't do that you can't get there just on willpower uh, alone. You have to start figuring out some of the the deeper strategy and management and organizational stuff which you need to conquer. So these are things like all the business systems and processes which you you build. I'm not talking about like just a simple SOP for how to approve a comment or or something like that. I'm talking at a, at a broader level, like how do you manage and rate your employees and how what's the the framework for creating you know business strategies and all your different departments how do your teams operate what's the structure of all the meetings which you should you should have or should not have these kinds of things and it's a bit of a bollock to be honest with you all these things because it takes away when you're doing this it takes time away from you working on your you working in your core business this is you working kind of like on your business rather than in it some people like to like to be at the front you know doing the the day-to-day stuff yeah i hate it doing the day-to-day stuff that that you you get started with and that's the kind of activities building new websites writing content yourself building links yourself these kinds of things which you probably got used to doing but when you get to a certain point, you just don't have the time to do that for, for all of your sites or to the, the level you, you need. And you, you need people and teams. But it's not a case of just like, oh, we'll just hire a bunch of people to, to do it. There has to be like an overarching structure. You need to have your vision of where it's all going. And all this stuff, which sounds like corporate bullshit. I can already see eyes rolling from the point of view of the podcast already. Like I see people's eyes rolling in this. I think that it's just you you rolling your eyes because again, you, you think it's... No, I disagree. I actually think if you want to keep people, you absolutely need this. It's easy to hire people and put a team together. But if you actually want them to stay for a long time and you will only get employees, like any employee is going to be really good after like a year at least. And if you want them to stay that long and do okay and be happy with their job and not looking for other opportunities, et cetera, you kind of need a structure because otherwise it's a very anemic way of working and it doesn't build that vision for them basically and they don't see where they will go. So I think it's important. It, it, it's not just about working with team. It's for, it's also for yourself as well. So you have unlimited different decisions and strategies and things you can do. You can grow your site, double down further. You can make another site. You can try e-commerce or FBA. You can start doing email marketing, all of these different things. But you also need a framework to understand what you're working towards and what you're actually trying to achieve and therefore what you should should and should not be be working on as well so all of this kind of i mean there's a lot of stuff we covered here but it comes under this kind of big umbrella of business management business strategy skills and there are four absolutely fantastic books which i would recommend for for this stuff the first one which you can read now even if you're you know just getting started or haven't even started your website yet because it's kind of a bit of a story as well it's about 
operations management. This is the first book that I was told to read when I went to university to study business studies. I think it's probably one of the only books I actually did read in that entire four-year course. It's called The Goal by Eliahu Goldratt. It's a name. I probably spelled that wrong, but just type The Goal book and it'll be the first one that comes up. Very, very, very good book about operations management and uh, how one guy just basically made a, a bottling plant like super super efficient there's a lot of lessons you can take from that if you're if you're running an online online business the three other books which they are pretty heavy to to go through and i wouldn't recommend it again until you're sort of ready for this stuff one is scaling up by Vern harnish uh, another is double double by cameron harris and another is traction by gino wickman all fantastic books. These are one of the, the the three books that I actually have physical copies of, not you know ebooks or, or or audiobooks, because there's a lot of like tables and, and charts and, and and stuff. And and you really, I hate reading physical books, but for for these, you actually need it. It's very very important. So yeah, that's that's kind of my take on on that side of things. Cool. Well, anything to add there? No, really. That's your side of the business mostly. I figure out other things, but yeah, the, the business management skill is definitely one of the things that you picked up. It's kind of interesting how we work on that. So you work more on that structure and I work more on like what we're going to do and where we're going as well. It's same. It's a very weird divide that most people don't have actually. Um, but I think, so that's basically these skills that we talked about. Obviously like business management skills and hiring, hiring, you can work kind of early on business management skills. As you said, unless you're at a certain level, I don't think it's something that you should pick up. You should pick up some of the other ones. Like like the writing is really quite important. The analytics is really quite important. Video editing, if you want to start creating video content, Excel spreadsheets, super useful, design super useful, etc. Pick one of these up when you feel like you're about to start a new site that you shouldn't or when you feel like you need to take a break from the day-to-day operations and, and you have that kind of like entrepreneurial need to like start a new project. Instead, pick one of these and spend a couple of days on it for as long as you feel that need of like fresh stuff. That's going to be, and then you go back to your core business with that new skill acquired. That's going to help you a lot while at the same time satisfy that need of doing something different, which we've all had and we all have sometimes. I mean, sometimes I just go back to like fixing some stuff that maybe is not the most important, but because I need to do that kind of stuff, it's it's what happens. But I still work on the core business, basically. Any final words for the conclusion, Mark? Yeah, I would I would say to that, you know, don't under invest in your own personal learning so that you know if something costs money if you need to buy a course a tool or you need to dedicate some time to to learning something then go for it because the long-term payout of learning most of these things is is infinitely higher than the initial investment secondly don't neglect learning for your team so if you hire a, a content writer or something don't be afraid to teach them the pivot tables and VLOOKUP in Excel because that actually is massively beneficial or can be massively beneficial to them as well. So, you know, don't don't be afraid to spend a bit of money or pay for people's time so that they can they can learn these other skills because if they're going to be working for you long term, it's going to it's going to pay back again many times over. And they will want to work for you longer if you actually spend time and resources teaching them stuff and improving their skills. So it's kind of like a virtuous circle. And you know, there's one thing we need to learn ourselves is how to do a podcast that doesn't last an hour. And so for that, we're going to be, we are going to be closing this episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
pretty much any like Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much any platform you want, just search for us there. You'll find it. And if you really like this podcast, then don't hesitate to drop us a review. It always helps us reach more people and just do better with the podcast in general, which is always nice when we spend the time preparing it every week. So thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we hope you have a great week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.